Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the best movies at the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris, you're back from Toronto. You were there for several days. Uh, I'm sure you're very tired. How yes. are you? How was the festival? Broad reactions before we get into any specific movies. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was weird. You know, I, I obviously didn't go to TIFF last year. Pretty much no one did because they, they did it almost entirely virtual. Uh, this year they had sort of a hybrid thing where it was virtual and in person, although pretty much all the big movies were only in person because that's how they get you. Um, I was, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, it was interesting. I, I, I love film festivals. I love TIFF, but I got to admit, I was really tired this year. I don't know if it's just because I'm like out of practice or I'm not used to being in public because of, you know, I, I haven't really done a lot over the last mm-hmm. year, but I felt a lot more like run down than usual. And, um, I, you know, usually uh, I'm able to like keep on top of my reviews. Like the minute I get done seeing a movie, I'll sit down and write a review. But, uh, this year I just had, you know, I had a lot of stuff building up. It was, it was a very weird year, but, um, you know, it was nice to be back. I love Toronto. Um, Hopefully I, I won't get sick. Uh, Tiff actually sent out an email today to several people saying certain screenings, um, they detected uh, someone at certain screenings had COVID. They've, they've just found out. So, uh, you know, they say in the email, you know, because of their precautions, because, you know, we all had to wear masks, you know, even during the movie. Uh, the risk should be low, but now, you know, that's something we have to be aware of. So a knock on wood, hopefully I, uh, I, I don't get sick. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed for sure. Um, Chris, I don't remember if you had really ventured out, uh, to return to theaters in a significant way, um, before this, what, I mean, like you just mentioned the, you know, TIFF, um, they allowed you to, have socially distant uh, seating in the theaters. They made everybody wear their masks and stuff. That seems like a much more controlled environment than something like, I don't know, a local AMC or multiplex or whatever. Um, 
was was this your first like biggest uh i guess return to the theater environment i don't recall if you'd you yeah. ventured out before. So I, um, I have gone back. I, I saw the Green Knight in theaters and I saw a screening of Don't Breathe too. But the Green Knight um, was, was, it wasn't that crowded. Um, and the Don't Breathe 2 screening was, I was literally the only person in the theater. Like the studio set up just for me. Wow, because, that's awesome. Even though I, I, I kept saying like, can I please just have a screener? And they were like, no, you have to see this on the big screen. So... Um, and both of those situations, I took my mask off in the theater just cause you know, that's sort of what I thought we were doing. But, uh, in, in at TIFF, you know, they, they specified, um, you know, you gotta leave your mask on for the movies and Toronto in general is, is, um, taking things a lot more seriously. Like, you know, here in the U S we've reached this point where it's like masks are optional, but in Toronto, they, they're still doing like if you go inside anywhere, you 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 got to have a mask on. So uh, it was a little, you know, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, I should stress here that I am 100 percent pro mask. I'm not an anti mask guy and I understand why mask uh, mandates are in place. That said, I'm, I'm so tired of this and I really want this to end. And <laughs> yeah, and like. Uh, why I, I, no matter how hard I try, no matter how many times I do it, I cannot get used to watching a movie with a mask on. Like all of these movies, even the ones that I really enjoyed the entire time I was watching them, I just kept fidgeting with my mask. I just mm. could not help it. And so I, I'm, I'm, I really want this to end. So again, please, for the love of Christ, get a, <laughs> get a goddamn vaccine. Don't give me your, your nonsense about oh I'm doing research. You absolutely are not. Just get the vaccine. I am tired uh, of this crap. I want this to end. I want life to go back to normal. I am yes. begging you people. Oh, all right, Chris. So you mentioned some films. Let's talk about the movies that you saw at TIFF. How many did you do a count of how many total films you saw while you were there? Uh, I haven't done it yet. It's got to be at least like nine or ten, probably more than that. Um, okay. So yeah, let's run through some of uh, your favorite films or, or maybe the best films, or maybe there's some crossover between those two distinctions. Um, yeah, uh, any order you want to, just tell me about some of the movies you saw. Yeah, so I saw a bunch of things. Um, I'm only going to highlight uh, five movies that were sort of like the best of the best for me. Um, first is is The Power of the Dog, which is the new Jane Campion movie. It's It's her first movie in, I think, 12 years. And uh, this has Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Kirsten Dunst. And this is coming to Netflix, actually. And uh, this was just phenomenal. I, I knew very little going in. I just knew it was, you know, a Western and I knew the cast. And it really just, it caught me off guard because it's it's a very, very subtle movie. It's a movie that plays its cards very close to the vest. And you, you really don't know where the movie is going until like the final frame. and. I was like, damn, this is so well made. And um, I, um, the, the plot uh, basically is Benedict Cumberbatch is is a, uh, a a rancher. Him and his brother are both ranchers. His brother is played by Jesse Plemons. And uh, he's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character is this this Yale educated guy. He, you know, he's basically a genius, but instead of like using his smarts for anything, he just wants to live the life of a cowboy and he's also just a, a just a <laughs> horrible person he's he's just cruel to everyone because he thinks he's above everyone 
And Jesse Plemons' character marries Kirsten Dunst, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is just instantly resentful of this, and he makes her life a living hell. And then her her son from a previous marriage comes to live with them. And at first, Benedict Cumberbatch's character is mean to the son, but then he starts to take uh, sort of an interest in him. And that's all I'm going to say, because the movie goes somewhere where I'm pretty sure no one is going to expect it to go. And uh, this was just so well made, uh, so subtle and and fascinating, where like every frame is loaded with some sort of like deeper detail. And Benedict Cumberbatch is is really good in this. You know, I, I I've always thought he was a good actor in general, but this is definitely like the best performance he's ever given. He's just so good in this. Wow. And um and I you know even though I'm not like an anti Netflix guy, you know, I'm not like, ah, oh, Netflix, I do feel like, you know, and I'm happy that Netflix gave Jane Campion the money to make this, but this is not a movie you should like stream and you know sit there and check your friggin' phone through for the whole time. Like this is how you really need to like pay attention to every single frame. So I urge you when this comes on Netflix, please don't, you know, please don't look at your, your damn phone. <laughs> like watch the movie. <laughs> okay. Not a passive viewing experience. For yeah. Power of the dog. Okay. Good yeah. to know. Uh, all right. What else have you seen? Chris? Uh, Spencer was the last movie I saw uh, before I left. And that is the, the, the princess Diana movie with, uh, uh, Kristen Stewart and just just very good movie, very good uh, sad melancholy movie. Kristen Stewart is just great in this. I'm a, I'm a Kristen Stewart fan in general. I know there are some people out there who still associate her with like Twilight, and they're always like, she can't act. And it's like, listen, idiots, that was that was like <laughs> decades ago. She's proven herself to be a, a, just an incredibly talented performer since then. And she's just great in this as Princess Diana. Um, this is a lot like uh, Jackie because it's the same director, Pablo Lorraine, uh, where it's you know this this historical woman, um, and the the movie follows her over a period of few of a few days while she's going going through some stuff. And so this is almost like a companion piece to this movie. Um, I actually think I like Jackie just a little bit more than this, but this is still uh, just fantastic. Um, uh, and, um, even though it's, it's, you know, an overall sort of s- sad movie, especially because, you know, even though this is like a few days and it doesn't say like, you know, it doesn't go into princess Diana's death. Everyone's going to go into this knowing like, ah, eventually she's going to die in a car accident. So you go into that with that knowledge and, you know, the movie itself, she's just going through very b- uh, deep emotional stress so it's it's not a happy uplifting mo- movie but there is sort of like um the way the movie ends and i i, I won't go into detail because i don't want to you know give away spoilers but it ends on this weirdly hopeful note that i found uh I, it just caught me off guard because you know this isn't an, an entirely hopeful story but and it doesn't it doesn't ring false it's not like oh they they tacked on a happy ending it, it just it feels right the way the movie unfolds hmm. so how familiar were you before seeing this film with the princess diana story because i feel like a lot of people uh in the, in the younger generation may not have um you know if you if you didn't watch the crown i guess maybe yeah. you, might, you aren't familiar with like the ins and outs like so how familiar were you and then do you feel like this movie uh like is interested in sort of telling the audience anything about that story or is it more just a a character piece 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the story, both because of the crown and because, you know, I, I, uh, I was, I was a kid when she, I feel like her death was like the first big news event I remember as a kid, like, because everyone was talking about her death and, you know, I, I've watched some documentaries. Um, that said, this movie is not, uh, like a hundred percent accurate and it, it tells you up front. It actually says at the beginning, like. Um, there's like a title card at the beginning where it says this is a a fable based on a true tragedy. So it's you know it's taking the story of how Princess Diana was just you know miserable in her marriage and how the royals were were just very cold to her because you know she was an outsider and uh, they were you know Prince uh, Prince Charles was constantly cheating on her and everyone was aware of that. But they were like, you know, that's fine. He can do whatever he wants. And they, you know, they treated her like like trash, basically. <laughs> and so this movie sort of um, plays off of the house. She's just this complete outsider with these people. Um, uh, so if you're going into this to like get the full Princess Diana story, don't, don't, you know, don't expect that. You know, go read the Wikipedia page or something like that. <laughs> but if this is sort of like, um, you know, a portrait of, you know, what it could have been like to, to be a fly on the wall during these few days. Gotcha, man. That fable uh, title card is really fascinating to me. I don't think I've seen a movie do that before. And I kind of wish more movies would do that because yeah. it, it sets the expectations right up front instead of uh, having people, you know, wander around thinking that every scene in the social network actually happened as it, you know, as it was portrayed in the movie, for example. So yeah, yeah um, I agree. That's a cool idea. Uh, all right. So you got three more. What, what other movies did you see? Uh, I also saw the humans and this is something I knew absolutely nothing about. And this is a, an a 24 movie and it stars, um, Stephen Yun and, uh, Richard Jenkins and Beanie Feldstein and Amy Schumer, weirdly enough, even though it's a, she's giving a dramatic performance. Um, and, uh, this is based on a play and the guy who, who wrote the play, uh, adapted it to the film and directed the film. This is his directorial debut. And this is set on a Thanksgiving, uh, just on Thanksgiving. And it's, it all takes place in this, uh, two story, um, like brownstone in New York. And it's this family gathering for Thanksgiving. And there's no real plot to speak of. It's, you know, just like uh, this family gathering, but, uh, as the movie progresses, you know, we learn more about these people and how they're all just, passive aggressive against each other and how they have all these, you know, inner conflicts. And it's just shot in this really fascinating way. Like it's, it's, this is not a horror movie. Like there's nothing supernatural in this movie, but it's shot exactly like a horror movie where there are actually like jump scares in the movie. And the, the way the house looks is just like dark and foreboding. And there's all these like weird, things happening like you know the upstairs neighbor is constantly like stomping on the floor and the the pipes are always making weird sounds and the lights keep burning out and it's just it's so is it like um uh, what is the uh what is the netflix movie that charlie kaufman just directed i'm thinking of ending things is it kind of like that where it's like almost surreal in no, the weird? Oh. Yeah, no it's like it's it's all done in this like realistic way but it just, it feels like any minute, like a ghost is going to show up in this movie and that never actually happens, but it has that, that atmosphere of just like, you're constantly on edge. Cause you're like, oh, something bad is going to happen here. And 
Yeah. And like, I, like I said, I, I, I never even heard of this. I just, it was available and I was like, all right, sure. I'll watch this. And it just, it really, it really impressed me. Um, so I, I'm not sure when this, that'll be out soon, but, um, it's not going to, I doubt it's going to be like a big movie because you know, it's very small and it's not, it doesn't have like huge stars in it, but I, I really urge you, you, uh, you, Ben, and everyone listening to seek this out when it's available. It's called The Humans. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, so you're, the next movie you're going to talk about is called The Rescue. And I actually had a chance to see this, uh, I think, last night we watched it. Ah. Um, I got a screener of it because I think, fingers crossed, I'm going to be talking to the directors of it sometime early next week. So um, maybe if the audio is good enough, I'll put that on the podcast at some point, um, like time to the release of this movie. So tell people what The Rescue is, Chris. Yes, The Rescue um, It's from the director directors of free solo which is that documentary about an absolute lunatic who (laughs) who climbs mountains without safety harnesses and stuff like that and uh this is about the um, the the thought the thai cave rescue um where uh 12 um they you know over there they would call them football players but we we dumb americans call them (laughs) soccer players uh they got trapped in this cave that got flooded and uh there you know there is all this question about are they alive or dead and you know this is all about the rescue attempt to save them. And um, this was just great. I, I was really impressed with this. Like free solo. This is, you know, another movie about people who do really dangerous stuff for fun. And, you know, the dangerous thing here is, is cave diving where people, you know, they put on this, this underwater stuff, this scuba gear, and they go diving into caves. And uh, it's not, you know, something everyone does. It's, it, you know, a very, a very select few people are really good at this. and. Uh, those select few people all came together to help save these kids. And I, I think the big difference is, you know, free solo uh, as much as I, I enjoyed that movie, it was a really good movie and it was really intense. Um, uh, the, the, the subject, the guy, I forget his name. Um, I always got the impression that he's just kind of a, a dick. <laughs> like, you know, throughout the whole movie, like his girlfriend is trying to like talk to him and he clearly doesn't care about her. He just cares about climbing this mountain and you know, doing this deadly thing. And the opposite is true here where these guys, even though, you know, they're, you know, there's this, this very amusing montage where one by one, they all talk about how they've always been like outsiders and outcasts and loners. Like despite all that, they all came together to do this really heroic, really selfless thing. And uh, it's, it's both uplifting. And I said this in my review, it's also kind of depressing to watch this movie right now, because again, this is about total strangers doing something difficult for someone else. And meanwhile, we're in this time right now where there are just a whole subset of humanity who are like, no, I won't get the vaccine. I won't get a mask because I don't care. Yeah, I and had the same thought watching this. <laughs> and it's like, God damn it. Why can't you all be like these heroic cave diver men? <laughs> so so what did you think, man? What did you think of the rescue? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, it's a very um, uh, just sort of like by the numbers movie. Like it's almost it's almost more informative than anything else. It's, it's like a, a here's what happened kind of thing. There's not really, I, I think in Free Solo, you mentioned the relationship between the climber and his girlfriend. I think the movie is like almost as interested in that as it is in the climb itself. It's, it's more like, you know, what does a person who would do something like this, what is his relationship? Like, what is his life like off the mountain? And this movie is not really the, the rescue is not really interested in that as much. It's, it's much more concerned with like, 
the beat by beat, like the mechanics of how did everybody come together to accomplish this truly insane thing. Um, so it feels more, yeah, like more informative than emotional to me. But I, I still think because I was not familiar with the ins and outs of exactly the the level, uh, the extent to which they had to do just truly wild things to to pull this thing off. Um, I, I found myself really, uh, yeah, like gripped by the whole story. And I think in Free Solo, I remember my palms sweating watching that movie because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Uh, and this, I did know how it was going to turn out, but just the, um, the immediacy of the whole thing, and they actually do this really interesting blend of uh, live action recreations, some of which include the people who were actually at the center of the story participating in the recreations and yeah. then actual footage from the time, from the events uh, that I just, and, and like the fact that there are a group of kids at the story of, uh, at the center of the story, it just sort of automatically raises the stakes a little bit from, you know, like a one guy thing to like children in peril. Of course, you're going to be, you know, invested on a, on a human level like that, a primal level. So um, yeah, I, I also really enjoyed this movie. I think it's, it's definitely worth watching. I think it's a national geographic movie. So I imagine it's going to end up on Disney plus, like probably, I don't know if it's going to be before the end of this year, it's September 16th right now. So probably right like it, yeah. it's kind of yeah it'll probably be like a an awards contender um there was one down downside to it chris that i wonder if you noticed um there were 12 soccer players and their coach was also with them yeah. and the movie does not really mention the yeah. coach almost at all and i'm kind of like i wish they would have gone into detail about because he, he was older, the, obviously. He was older than the, the players who were all like around 12 or 13 years old or something. Yeah. And so I was just curious about, you know, they, they did such a good job of laying out the beat by beat, play by play. This is what we had to do to get these kids out of there. And I was just curious, like, did the process have to change at all to accommodate this older guy who was also in there with them, but the movie just doesn't even talk about that at all. So yeah, I was, I was really unclear on that. I was like, did this guy just like demand they not talk about him or something? I yeah, don't know. I, like, I found it very weird that they barely mention, And like, even when they're showing footage of the kids, when they find them, like they don't even show the, I'm like, where the hell is the, co-? it was very weird. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he just did not want to be involved. Uh, also the, the final song in the movie that Uh-oh. plays over the credits is awful. And oh, it feels, <laughs> It's it, so bad. It feels like it's designed specifically to win an Oscar for I best see. original song. And it just sounds like a yeah. parody of a song that you would create to win an Oscar. It's I really said that, awful. I said that exact thing in my review that this, <laughs> this is clearly like they made, they only wrote this song because they were like, we got to get a best song Oscar nomination yeah. at least. And it's so bad. Or it's like, it's just like, we're going to save you in the cave. It's just like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Just uh. Yes. So I think Chris and I both recommend watching the rescue and then turning it off the yes. second the credits begin. Just and get you. Yeah. You'll be better off. All right. So uh, the last movie, I'm very curious to hear what you thought about this this last film, Chris. So tell me what you saw and what you thought about it. Yes, it is Dune, the, the big star-studded uh, sci-fi spectacle. And, you know, I, I was looking forward to this to begin with, although I have to admit that I haven't liked any of the trailers released so far. I thought they've all been kind of underwhelming. So I went into this sort of like, I don't know, but you know what? Dune is good. It's a really good movie. Um, I do think some of the hyperbole that came out of the Venice film festival where it premiered is just a little bit 
overblown. Like I was seeing people who are like, this is a game changer. And it's not, it is not a game changer. It is a good movie. It's, it looks amazing. Um, Hans Zimmer's score is just phenomenal. It's this like big, loud, uh, very vocal driven score with like, like chanting and, and uh, harmonies and stuff like that. And I was really impressed with that. Uh, the special effects are just uh, flawless. Um, uh, if I have, um, you know, I have a few complaints and my biggest complaint about this is it's very much not a complete movie. Um, and even when it starts, the title card says Dune part one. And the, you know, the, and that's not a secret, you know, uh, um, you know, it's always been said that this is going to be hopefully two movies, but the problem here is they haven't shot that second movie yet. And that second movie hasn't even been given the green light. Mm-hmm. So, I I'm hoping this will be a hit. I really don't know, but if this like bombs, if this underperforms and Warner brothers doesn't say we're making a sequel, we're not going to get a whole story. It basically would be like reading a book and finding the last like hundred pages have been ripped out and you're not going to ever know how it ends. And so that really bugs me just a little bit because I, you know, uh, even if you're, you know, you're going to make a sequel, I would really prefer a movie that has an ending. Like, you know, the, the first it uh, of the remake that was technically called it chapter one, but that movie, it has a real ending, you know, the losers club defeats Pennywise and they say like, Oh, he might come back, but there's still an ending. So if they never went ahead and made that sequel, you would still have a complete movie. And this movie, it literally just ends. It's like, all right, then see you next time when we have a sequel. And that really bugs me. Yeah. Uh, so HT and I were talking on the on yesterday's news episode about how I think it was, um, I don't remember the, the exact details now. It's It's been less than 24 hours and I've already forgotten. But I think the, the, there was some sort of language worked into the contract where uh, the idea that this movie uh, debuting specifically on, uh, on HBO Max and in theaters in the same time, there's some sort of like caveat in there where like it's not going to be judged as as harshly uh, by its box office performance because of that. And and I think the the implication is like the studio is is going to be uh, kinder to the film and and uh, kinder when it comes to potentially greenlighting a second movie, uh, even if it this first one doesn't perform as well. So that that is like uh, encouraging to hear, especially since you say that it just ends. And, and uh, I think anybody who watched the movie, it sounds like they're going to be desperate for, <laughs> for a sequel if they enjoyed that first film. So yeah. um, hopefully that will happen. Uh, Chris, I'm just curious, like broadly speaking about, about Dune, um, you know, I think there were a lot of articles in the lead up to the making of the movie where Denis Villeneuve, the director was like, this is the anti star Wars. So what, what kind of movie would you compare this to if not star Wars? Because, uh, I think star Wars took a lot of inspiration from the original Dune novel. Uh, and so if this is not just, you know, inspired by star Wars and this sort of snake eating its own tail kind of thing, is there another movie that kind of stands out as like a, uh, I guess a, a comparable, uh, epic type of story? Yeah, you know, this does not feel anything like Star Wars, despite, you know, the similarities where, you know, there's a desert planet and there's an evil emperor. And all, like, other than that, this does not feel like Star Wars. Like, the closest thing I felt this felt like was uh, Game of Thrones, but a fan, but a uh, sci-fi Game of Thrones, because it's all about, you know, like, 
palace intrigue and and these different houses and people who backstab each other and people who don't care for each other and you know uh titles and and stuff like that so uh if i had to compare it to anything it would probably be like a sci-fi game of thrones would be like the closest i I would compare it to that's cool i dig that i'm excited about it uh (laughs) all right last question um who's the mvp of the movie is there one actor or uh or yeah, I guess I guess of the of the cast, is there one person that that stands out to you? You know, Re- Rebecca Ferguson, I would say, is really damn good in this, where um, she plays uh, Lady Jessica, and she's this. Uh, oh God, I don't want to go into the this, the Benny Jesuit. The, the Benny Jesuit. Yeah, I, I you know I I don't think this movie is that complicated, but there are a lot of like terminologies and different sex and stuff like that where you're going to be like, what the fuck is. Going on? <laughs> And, um, uh, you know, another problem I had with it is the sound mixing was so fucking bad in the sense that it's another movie like sort of Tenet where I had no idea what people were saying half the time. So I'm actually really looking forward to rewatching this on HBO Max so I can put subtitles on because there are there are long stretches where characters are like talking and the combination of both the way it's mixed and, you know, the weird terminology they're using. You're going to be like, I don't know what they're saying here. So yeah. I, I would, I would, you know, I know uh, there's all this talk about like, you got to see this on the big screen and yeah, it looks great on the big screen, but I would honestly, I think I'm going to prefer to watch this at home just because I can put subtitles on and figure out what the, what the frig everyone is saying. <laughs> so man, that this, this is probably a conversation for maybe another podcast, but that just gave me like, obviously the pandemic has thrown theaters into full chaos mode. I wonder if on the other side of this thing, if as a way for theaters to survive, they could offer uh, subtitled screenings where people could choose to see. Well, they the do movie. have they have that option for, for hearing impaired people where I think you can get like little like a little screen where you literally like put it in front of you that has subtitles or like, oh, okay. there are like glasses, like sunglasses sort of that have the subtitles on the bottom. Like those things do exist, but I don't know if people are aware they exist. And I think, I think it'd be cooler if like theaters made you aware that that was an option because it would be beneficial, especially for stuff like this. Yeah. I think I would pick that almost every time just because yeah. I'm so used to watching stuff with subtitles on at home because the sound mixing over the past, I don't know, it feels like 10 years. It's just degraded to such a level where like the score is just completely bombastic and drowns out everything else. And I'm like, what the hell did that person just say? This yeah. is, I mean, not even in Christopher Nolan movies in like, you know, almost everything. It just feels like the mixing is just, yeah, there's uh, a really, I don't know what is going. I don't know if it's like sound mixers faults or faults or, Maybe it's just movie theater faults because yeah. movie theaters don't have, you know, there's no one really running movie theaters at this point. They have <laughs> everything is like automated. And, you know, the, you know, back in the day, there were projectionists who who cared about this stuff. And now everything's like digital and automated. And I think it's just a combination of, of all these things coming together to have really crappy sound mixes. And it's it's unfortunate because it, it, it is hurting certain films. Yeah. All right. Well, Dune comes to theaters and HBO Max, I think in a few weeks, right? Like early October. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, not, not too long to go yet. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. All right. Uh, yeah. Chris, thanks for, for uh, filling us in about uh, your TIFF experience. Any um, 
concluding thoughts or, or sort of lasting memories from the uh, from the experience? Did you get to see any any of our colleagues or anybody, or was it like a, an isolated experience for no, you? No, you know, I really didn't see anyone. I didn't really seek a lot of people out just because you know everything is, is yeah, weird it's weird right now. <laughs> but you know, it, it was great to be back in Toronto. I, I love Toronto in general. It's a, it's a cool little cool city and. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I really want things to get back to normal. I really, really, I never thought I would say that because I, you know, I didn't like things to begin with, <laughs> but uh, I just, I bet, you know, please, we need to get this damn pandemic under control. You know, like I said, I got that email. Uh, I don't, did I actually mention that? I don't know. Yeah. I got an email today. Yeah. Where, you know, someone in my theater had, had, had the virus and mm-hmm. it's like please god just get a vaccine oh my god i'm begging you yeah it's maybe safe. that's where we should end every episode of this podcast like it's, thanks for listening and yeah. get the vaccine <laughs> despite what you know despite what your racist uncle says on facebook these things have been tested they've been studied they're safe they're not going to implant a microchip into your blood <laughs> or any other insane nonsense just get it so we can get this under control and just go back to not wearing masks everywhere because it's it's awful and i want i want it to stop indeed indeed all right so on that bright note uh that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. i'm going to link to all of chris's uh, reviews of the, the movies that he talked about so you can read those there uh you can you can find that information linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics. Uh, you can send those to peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.